Broadcasting from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe. You're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. It's that time again. I'm David Strausser, and welcome to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz, your place to learn how to achieve growth during a global pandemic. A ton of people have been hit hard during this global pandemic. Some areas more than others for various reasons, from restrictions to cases of the virus, and just you know, ultimately, I think due to people not spending money and staying inside or even, you know, just due to unemployment. It's been hard all around for a lot of us. Most of us, I'd even say. Today's episode, I wanted to go another direction. I wanted to jump back into my past, my roots of growing up as a young adult to the Baja Cali mega region and cover Southern San Diego. Specifically, San Ysidro, where I've spent a lot of time in my life waiting in that borderline and the whole surrounding communities. I think people don't understand how much of an impact this binational community has on the country's bottom line. There is so much commerce and trade happening there from a commercial manufacturing standpoint to retail buying and really the current condition has hurt the border region drastically on both sides, both down in Mexico and north into San Diego. We're also going to chat about some of the benefits of manufacturing and distribution with NAFTA 2.0, or as it's called, the USMCA, and try to break down some of the benefits of working within North America. Some of the world's largest companies have embraced manufacturing down in places like Tijuana and have taken full advantage of the free trade zone advantage of North America. There are a ton of benefits keeping these jobs between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Many people just don't realize it or they misunderstand it. So who is today's guest? Jason Wells. Jason M.B. Wells is the chief executive of the San Ysidro Chamber of Commerce, representing commerce at the world's busiest land border crossing. With leadership skills that transcend commerce, Wells was publicly elected in 2010 to the San Ysidro School District Governing Board, then by his peers to be the first re-elected board president in 20 years. Prior to leading the San Ysidro Chamber of Commerce, Jason successfully performed management roles with the U.S. Bank and the San Diego Regional Chamber of Commerce. Wells' two most proud titles have been Petty Officer Wells in the U.S. Navy and Dad at Home to Family of Four. Let's bring Jason on in here. Business strategy. Hey, Jason. Welcome to Shark Pipe Biz. So glad to have you here. Good afternoon. I'm glad to be here with you. It's been a long time, my friend. Yes, it has. It's been it's been a while. So obviously, I, I know who you are, but we have a tradition here. Shark Pipe Biz, tell us who you are. All right. Well, there's a bunch of different hats, but I think for this <laughs> purpose, <laughs> I run uh, I'm the executive director of the San Ysidro Chamber of Commerce. San Ysidro is the border crossing between San Diego and Tijuana. It's the busiest land border crossing on Earth. Uh, on Earth. 
right? On Earth. On Earth. On Earth. So yes. uh, you, you, you actually take into account California's crossing. We have about 216,000 people across every day, which is the size of a major city. Now, of yeah. course, those are, those are non-COVID times, right? Right, right, right. Normal border crossings. Uh, but yes, I've been uh, doing this for 15 years. I was uh, grew up in the Midwest, Midwestern boy, the middle of cornfields outside of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, of course, now I'm a border expert. That makes a lot of sense. But uh, the uh, I had the good fortune that the U.S. Navy decided I needed to come to San Diego in 1995 and stayed ever since. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. I, there's a lot of people that have that same story. So right. you're right in there. And it's funny that you say about how you grew up outside of Chicago and now you're a border expert. And it's the same story with somebody like me from rural Pennsylvania, a small city. And I moved to Tijuana when I'm 18. And yes. it, it's like, holy cow, night and day. <laughs> and it, it, it's a whole nother perspective. I mean, I think people that haven't visited the border region, I, I don't think they they get it. It, it. It's weird. No, and you know, all the work that we do in Washington, because obviously border issues are federal. Really decided, right? All the work we do in Washington when I'm there, I'm trying to tell people for us going to Mexico, it's not just, you know, get out your passports and grab a Mm -hmm. plane. For us going to Mexico, it's like saying I'm going from, you know, Maryland to DC, right? (laughs) Literally crossing the street. Yeah. And that's that's what I, that's the biggest thing that was hard for me to describe to people, even today. When I tell them, yeah, you know, for 15 years, I primarily lived in Mexico, worked in San Diego, or then I lived in San Diego and worked in Mexico. And they're like, how you crossed another country? I'm like, dude, think of Philadelphia with like a fence going down the middle of it and like a gateway. That That's essentially how it is. It, it's one big, huge, mega metropolis. Uh, metropolis. Yeah, I can't speak today. Metropolis. It's one big <laughs> yeah. metropolis, and, and yes. You know that, that's going to continue to grow because housing prices in San Diego are not going down. No. Um, and so, you know, I think my last rent that I paid in Tijuana was 800 bucks a month for a three-bedroom house on the beach. Yeah. So, you know, when you have that kind of that, that, that dichotomy, that, you know, Tijuana really is a better community for a lot of the workforce in San Diego County. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And that's something I've had that discussion a few times. I've met many, you know, Mexican-Americans, Americans-Americans that live down there and work up in San Diego because of the cost of living and the quality of life is so good. Yeah, I, I did it for 15 years. Yeah, there you go. You and me both. I mean, we're, we're testaments to that. But I, I, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you in is I don't think People, look, like you just said about the work that you do out in Washington, D.C. towards the border region and the feds and stuff. I feel people in general, especially in D.C. or in Mexico City, they're in the bubble. They don't understand the real border situation. And for people thinking like, hey, we're not talking about immigration or anything. We're just talking business and trade and how important, you know, Tijuana and then NAFTA, now the USMCA, is for the economy in San Diego and the United States, you know, in whole. You know, look, there's 26 states out of the 50 that call Mexico as their number one or two trading partner. Wow. Uh, So what that means is there's a whole lot of jobs in Kentucky and Ohio and Alabama that depend on what we do every day with the country of Mexico. Uh, I was actually, and I mentioned Mississippi, I had the fortune of meeting uh, one of their, their congressmen couple years ago. Okay. Uh, the Congress Betty Compton, who was the chairman of Means Ways, I think, at that time. Okay. And he was telling me that Western Mississippi, their number two export 
is, is corn. Wow. Their number one purchaser of corn is Mexico. Wow. So out of Mexico, of corn to Mexico, <laughs> these are not things you would normally put together, you know. Uh, but it's, it's that kind of, of, of impact um, right. that it has on, on a majority of the United States. Uh, and I'll give you another example. Uh, Toyota Tacoma truck right. crosses the border six times from the beginning of building its engine block to putting on, you know, the wax of the paint. Yeah. Um, and so every time that that truck crosses the border, there's taxes and fees and wages and things are being made on each side of the border. Yeah. So by the time you make that purchase, you're helping both countries, you know, greatly. Um, you know, mm -hmm. you heard certainly in the 2016 uh, campaign, a lot was made with uh, the trade with Mexico and the right. deficit with the trade and so forth. But, you know, every, every import we bring in from Mexico, 41% of the content actually started in the United States. Yeah, so, I think a lot of people don't don't realize that, how interlaced the economies are. And I, I've seen people, you know, both sides of the border. When I live down in Mexico, oh, we don't need the United States. Or in the United States, we don't need Mexico. But it's not true on either side. They're both very, very interlaced. I mean, even with, I think one of the, the stories that I always like to tell is about you know, doing their, their compras, you know, when they're doing the purchases, because Mexico has very, very high tariffs for international goods. And a right, lot right. of people end up going up to places like San Ysidro uh, in South San Diego to do a lot of their purchases each month just to save money. And, and they don't realize, like, how that whole full circle actually involves. Yeah, you know, I have a little uh, community here of about 40,000 people, give or take, right, in San Antonio, between San Antonio. But our little community um, itself has about $2.5 billion going back and forth each year. We uh, produce about $860 million just in sales. These are retail sales. Right. Uh, you know, what we'll get into in USMCA and, and cargo crossing and the true mm -hmm. what you hear is commerce and the trade. That's all in the case. That's not even here. Right. So just in our little corner again, uh, you know, we get over $1.5 billion just in the exactly. And so these are purchases that somebody from one side is making on the other. Uh, and and I, think, I think I want to give an example just so that people can understand this. Now, this is probably a little bit exaggerated because I have not been down to Tijuana or Baja California since I moved to Philly in 18 months. But I know when I was growing up, for example, um, I'm 19, 20, and I'm like, oh, I, I need to get new jeans. And it's like, okay, let's go to Dorian's at that time in downtown Tijuana, which I think now is Sears. But it was yeah. like, let's go to that store. And it's like, holy cow, it's like 80 or 90 bucks for a pair of Levi's, I think, essentially at that moment. When I could just cross up to San Ysidro to Walmart and get them for twenty bucks. Right. Well, and we actually have the Levi's outlet store. Here. Yeah, so, yeah. There right. you go. Our, the Tennessee, the Las Vegas Premium Outlets is here in San Ysidro, one of the best performing outlets in the world. There are Nike stores like ranks one through four every year in the country as far as performing Nike stores. Uh, yeah, and that's all because of the international trade. To be clear. And, and like, like we've said, for us going to Mexico or vice versa is not this international travel deal. It's crossing no, the street. No, no. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It, it, it's a lot simpler. Although during COVID times, I mean, things are a little bit tougher. I've seen some pictures. Uh, I saw yes. complaints about 10-hour border waits. Uh, border's always long there. Uh, I remember right after September 11th, I've had four, five, six-hour waits frequent. But 
recent years, I think it went way down for most people going through normal lanes. Um, how is it right now? How much traffic has been hit and how hard has that been on our, you know, on San Diego's southern economy there? Well, you're, 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 you're touching the nerve. Yes. CBP, the uh, Border Customs and Border Protection, has made, and they've stated so on that, on that opening here, they stated that um, to try to curb what they feel is not essential crossings, right. they're purposely making wait times longer on what they say are not essential hours and weekends. Uh, you know, in, in apropos to the conversation you and I were just having about yeah. how intertwined we are, uh, you know, I, I did a piece a little while ago on every trip every job is essential and why i say that is you know if i were to tell you hey david i'm going to go down to my and have a glass of wine right that's a completely not essential trip right right you know you say i should be crossing the so you know what the u.s gas station where i fill up my tank their employees count on that gas tank to right to feed the families the baja Mex insurance company when i buy my policy uh, uh, no 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 not baja Mex. baja bound their employees count on that person to feed right. their family. The vineyard obviously feeds their Mexico as a country uh, uh, counts on my tools to maintain the infrastructure, right? That I drive down. So it, it's like who are we to say what job is essential? What is, you know, every, and I think and that, that, I that, that it's even complicated even more in that border region because, I mean, this isn't like some other, like maybe in Arizona where it's a little bit more remote and stuff. I mean, right. you have, what, 100,000 plus Americans, uh, again, maybe they're, they're binational, American, Mexican, maybe they're just American citizens like me that are living down there. And they need to cross that border because, again, it's like crossing Fifth Avenue in New York City. You know, it, it's and, one and big metro. Ab- absolutely. And another thing to that is retiring population. Oh, yeah. You know, if you retire with a pension, you're 2500 bucks a month. is going to get you a studio apartment in San Diego. You can live like a king in Rosarito. Yeah. And you know, so we have a large. How many? How many is it? I, 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 the last stat I saw was around 150,000 uh, yeah. uh, retirees living in Baja, California. That, that's a couple of years ago. But yeah, these, you know, and, and I'll tell you, I always I often talk about San Diego. We're one of the few places on the border, northern or southern, where you could actually walk from an American house to a Mexican house. So, I mean, there's no Rio Grande or deserts or mountains between us. You literally can walk from a one nation's house, uh, a residence house to the other. Uh, you know, our, our boulevard, our yeah. main corridor, which was the beginning of the historic 101 in California, by the way, California, uh, we, 95% of our customers actually cross the border. Yeah. We don't even say Mexicans anymore because oftentimes they consider Americans. <laughs> Right, so they're crossing. They're crossing the border. That's why these restrictions hit us especially hard. California could reopen its business completely, but as long as border restrictions are in place, we're still dead in the water. They guess for your for your crowd in DC or Pennsylvania or you know wherever we're national, uh, we're international, baby. The border is the border restrictions that are happening right now are simply against people that have tourist visas. Right. So U.S. citizens that we talk about living in okay. Mexico, they. Or not living in the states, they can come and go as they please. Okay. Those with uh, what we used to call the green card, the green card, the uh, permanent legal resident, right? 
They can come and go as they please. Okay. It's simply those with tourist visa. Unfortunately for us, the U.S. citizens and the permanent legal residents, they're coming and going to their jobs outside of San Francisco. The people that come in and create those $865 million in sales in San Francisco are the tourist visa. And so it's for us, you can't really argue the health benefit because 100,000 people are still crossing every day. Right. It's just the 35,000 they're not letting cross. That we're going to be spending money and help boost the economy. And I mean, yeah, I don't want to get into the the debate about all that stuff, (laughs) but it's definitely, you know, it's hurting the economy and it's going to hurt the people of San Diego, I think, long term. Let's shift gears a little bit. Um, we've talked uh, a little bit. We've mentioned NAFTA, uh, USMCA. So basically, I guess for the first time, maybe 25 years since NAFTA was signed, we have that official shift in policy. And we have what I think of almost as a NAFTA 2.0, that it upgrades. I mean, it, it upgrades some things that needed upgrading because i think when we were talking about this on the phone the other week you were like nafta was written before oops lost your video there there you uh, go yeah let me just get it back into the feed record oh, oh no problem no problem okay so with nafta it basically upgrades a thing like we were talking before the uh, a couple weeks ago on the phone, we were talking and we mentioned about how that was essentially written before Internet, a lot of it. Well, before Internet was mainstream and it needed Correct. some updating. How do you view the USMCA updated things? Is it better for people generally? Yeah, I would say absolutely. And it is an upgrade. I think politics for a name change, right? We will get into that. Right. But yeah, it is, it is an upgrade to what we had. I think for us, the three main, three main changes, if you will, um, it had to do with auto manufacturing. As I mentioned to you before, the, the Tacoma truck can cross six times the border from start to finish. So that's a big deal for us. And what, what the USMCA actually did was require that 75% of parts of a car now, this is just Tacoma, this is right. auto manufacturing, 75% of, of that vehicle, parts of that vehicle, have to come from one of the three NAFTA countries. That was like 62.5% prior okay. to. So what it does is it obviously increases the tri-national production of those, those vehicles. I think another thing that's huge for us here in the San Diego Tijuana region uh, is that the environmental protections were, were increased. Um, and so what that includes is $600 million to address problems like uh, these uh, sewage, excuse me, sewage spilling, spilling that we have on the river. Right into and, in our estuary and yeah, yeah, and that that unfortunately is a huge, huge issue. I mean, it affects places like Imperial Beach, and it's so sad. I don't know if any of our viewers or listeners, if you're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, uh, iHeartRadio, <laughs> uh, I don't know if our viewers know Imperial Imperial Beach, but it was beautiful. In fact. Growing up in Pennsylvania, we have Yingling Beer. I'm from the hometown of Yingling Beer. And okay. we found a Jersey diner out there in Imperial Beach that sold Yinglings. It's like the only place out of California. Oh. But it broke our heart because, yeah, we could go there on the beach, have the, the Jersey food, have the Yingling beers from my hometown. But it's like you really didn't want to go in that water because it, it, it's so contaminated. So is that going to help clean it up? Um, like what's going into that? 
Yeah, yeah it, it, it will. It will increase that. Also, you know, I've got you mentioned Carol Beast. I have to set up their mayor, certainly Dina, is just a fabulous warrior uh, for clean for clean beaches, clean water for the environment. Uh, That's great. And and so he's you know, and we've been happy to play cheerleaders and back up to him um, on many of our missions to Washington D.C. to Mexico City. Um, I've been with him when he went toe to toe with Mexican officials. This is be doing. Um, right. you know, it's just it's it's a difficult issue in Tijuana. You've got a lot of um, unpermitted, uncontrolled growth that's happened, and so everybody builds their little shack and then mm-hmm. sticks a pipe, you know, a, a PVC pipe on the on the cliff side, right? Oh, yeah. it's, it's part of that part of that problem. Um, and, and actually, their uh, municipal system needs right. to be purple pipe. The entire, I mean, even if we fix everything that was non-permitted. The system that's supposed to be there is completely outdated. Oh, yeah. So, anyway, we don't need to get it all But absolutely, in USMCA, that was one of the um, problems that they really uh, looked at solving, and I believe took a good step too. There's people like the Sierra Clubs, over the course, that say they hard enough, which right. is always going to happen. Right, right. right. You, know, you can't please, you can't please everybody, but that is a, a big issue. I mean, when I think of down there in that border region, that is probably the the sore thumb, I think, that that yeah. sours some things for some people. And yeah, you know, it's really good that that's that's doing it. What about nearshoring? You know, uh, a lot of people, instead of going to places like Asia, I mean, I've been telling people like you can manufacture high quality things like right down across the border in Tijuana. I think. That's where the future is going that, mm-hmm. that we've been missing so far. Right. Is that, you know, we used to think in terms of, well, of course you should hear shore because of, you know, transportation times and prices are right. going to China, right? But at the end of the day, when you're paying people 13 cents an hour, whatever the equivalent is, like, don't quote me on that, but whatever the wages are in China, it still overcame. But I think where the future is, is to understand the educational level of the worker, the technical expertise of the average worker in Mexico. Right. You know, we always talk about the joke, or not, tell me a cheap joke about the cheap Chinese products. Right. Well, those products can be made a hell of a lot better Right. doing that in Mexico. Then you save the transportation costs. When you look at the whole picture, it's actually a better business decision to make those products there. And then you add into the fact of whatever you're doing crossing the border has these USMCA uh, measures, right, that make sure that the, right. you know, part of it's going to help the environment, this and that. Um, now, you know, with, I'm biased. I'm oh, yeah. in, uh, <laughs> in, in Hong Kong, right? Um, but, you know, I, I really think the case for the future is meant, is made for nearshoring. Again, when you add the sophistication of the Mexico worker. I view it a little bit differently as well too i view it as far as control it is hard to have quality control when you're so far away if you're an american company and you're going to manufacture something i mean literally you're talking about a plane ride either to tijuana directly or to san diego and it's 40 minutes from the airport and you're literally in essentially data tijuana well, and you know, these things like corporate espionage and stuff that have been brought up, those aren't some oh, yeah. high-level, crazy uh, uh, conspiracy notions. I had to cancel an order of cameras because oh, the wow. cameras were coming from China, and it was a brand that had been found, and they were putting in some kind of technology to actually see what was happening with those cameras. 
I mean, so these kinds of things, yes, you can you can actually uh, you can certainly effectuate better if it's right here next door, you know, into Mexico. Give me an example. I know the examples, but I guess you're the one that's down there. Give us an example of some of the not just American, but international companies that are there based in Tijuana, San Ysidro, uh, manufacturing, distri- uh, distributing products and stuff. Yeah, we're not, so now you're going to get me in trouble because I'm going to mention some names and, and, and forget <laughs> others. But, uh, but, you know, this, I, what I will say is just in general, this, the Tijuana, San Diego area, well, I'm sorry, Baja California area of this, um, uh, DJ Orthopedics, uh, you know, much more, uh, the health, healthcare pieces, the, um, the valve for the first heart transplant in the world actually came from manufactured in Tijuana. Wow. Uh, aerospace is growing hugely. And this is where I go back to that, uh, the, the sophistication of the Mexican mm-hmm. worker, not just here in Baja, but that's actually, I think, the second largest growing segment of the Baja California uh, uh, offering, right, to our right. national region is, is, is in the aerodynamics. Right. But I went down to Querétaro to see one of the plants. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're in an area, you know, central Mexico, uh, 20-year-olds should not have a lot of money down there. Right, <laughs> right, right. We go into this factory, and you know, the, thing, the, thing, the thing that impressed me most is the, you know, top-tier production of air, air, aerodynamics uh, pieces are happening there. And you look at the parking lot. It, as you're walking through the plant, it doesn't look like anybody's over 22. Right. You look out in the parking lot, and there wasn't a car more than three years old. Wow. I mean, in the middle of Mexico, that doesn't really happen. So these, this is creating a, not only awesome products and great margins for American businesses, mm-hmm. but you're creating, helping create that middle class of Mexico, which stabilizes our entire region. Um, I'm going to go back into the 90s, but the whole drug wars and this and all that all happened because you had such a dichotomy in the poor and the rich. Creating a middle class in Mexico actually helps security, prosperity, commerce, everything for all of them. And they are and starting they, to bridge the gap now. I mean, you are starting to get Absolutely. Them. Especially and, and if you're in a place like Baja, California, there is a true middle class there. And that's brought in because of all the American from the retirees to the Americans, American Mexicans, those types of people and the cash flow that they provide allows Baja California to have a stable middle class. But that's spreading. Absolutely. And I've seen that happen in Oaxaca now that we finally realize what the scale is and the art (laughs) and the food of of that area. They're creating a middle class with young artists and, Mm -hmm. and, and so forth. Um, as I said, I saw to see that in, in Querétaro, Mexico City, Monterrey is you know famous for its, its young working class. Yeah. Um, but again, for all of us, and I guess for your shark biz uh, biter, your shark bite. Uh, yeah. Biter. Now you're done. <laughs> time. <laughs> yeah. For your shark biters, I will say you know <laughs> why it's exciting to 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 get involved with that is again, uh, you know, focusing our efforts on we're talking your story, focusing right. our efforts on really on the North American continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it, 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 it's, it, everything from commerce to security uh, to quality of life for us all is right. better when we're focused on, on, on ourselves. And I think I think a lot of people forget about that because you know, like if you look at the European European Union, I think out there they're more focused like Europe as a whole. That's why they're the European Union. 
Whereas North America, I mean, all three societies are they're individualist societies. So I don't think that we always think about that in terms of, hey, USA, Mexico and Canada. Uh, we think of it of each one, but I think if we start really thinking of it as a whole for North America, it's only going to bring more prosperity to all of us. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and, I know security is not really an issue we're talking about here, but I, my first 10 years of my adult life were, were, were in cryptology uh, for yeah. the U.S. Naval Intelligence. So, you know, I think in terms, too, uh, instead of, you know, worrying about border mates on 2,000 miles of border between U.S. and Mexico, what if we were focused on that little piece between Mexico and Guatemala, right? Right. Uh, it, it, or it looked at our shores instead of internal uh, internal borders. I'm not one of those open border folks, right? But right. there's a way you operate together. Right. Uh, uh, with, for mutual benefit. And that's something uh, that, that, I think, that I think business has yeah. a huge piece of doing, which is why I'm happy we're talking. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's something that I've talked about a few times on this channel, and it's over my social media. I, I'm a smart border advocate. And, you know, there's a better way that we should be allowing people and resources and trade and money to flow that's really going to benefit both economies. And I, I think we can get there. So we do got to start wrapping up. I have one yeah. final question for you. You're in a very hard hit region because of the global coronavirus pandemic. Uh, what words of advice do you have for businesses out in your district or even just generally out in other areas that are struggling as far as getting through this? Yeah, well, you know, look, the first thing I will say is that border crossings and reopening businesses don't cause coronavirus spikes. Right. Irresponsible people do. Right. Um, what we do know, there is no documented, there is no documented link between border crossings and, and COVID spikes. What we do know is where COVID spikes happen is by creating large crowds. Right. Well, by these border restrictions and making longer wait times, you're creating large crowds. Then go to speak to an officer, an officer that would normally spend 20 seconds with this person, now spending five to figure out if he's essential. So now you're getting the spread to the officers. So our practices are illogical with what we're trying to, to stop. Oh, yeah. What I will tell our businesses, and I've personally handed out over 270 bags of face shields and masks and gloves and hand sanitizer to our businesses, uh, you know, ensure that we're operating properly so that our community is safe, our visitors are safe. And so while we're asking for restrictions to be lifted, we're operating in a way that actually makes us more responsible. Oh, yeah. No. Awesome. Awesome advice. I could not have said it better myself. How do people get in touch with you, Jason? Uh, well, the easiest way, our, our website is www.sanicidro, that's with a Y, sanicidrochamber.org, www.sanicidrochamber.org, and uh, all of my contact information. Uh, that's perfect. We'll make sure that we have the link on the description, no matter where you all are viewing this episode from. Jason, thank you so much for being here. And I hope, you. you know, six months from now, you come back and we talk about all the success stories with the businesses down there. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yep. I look forward to it. Cheers, man. Take care. Thank you. Yep. That was good. Pretty cool, right? I've known Jason for years, ever since my days living down in Tijuana and working in border tech. We kind of just met each other, embraced each other, and helped each other thrive. He's a really... Great man, 
Love him, Ed. He's a good friend. There were so many stories packed into this episode, though. We have Jason the Individual and his story and career. We have the economic situation at Southern San Diego. And then we have the binational trade between the two countries. Living so long in that region, I really just wanted to spotlight it and perhaps bring a new light into the area. As I was telling Jason... I think from manufacturing to even tech support and development, that binational region, yeah, it's hot. It is literally cooking in San Diego, and it's just hot south of the border in Baja also. I've seen major global companies to small mom and pops all taking advantage of NAFTA and now the USMCA. Plus, I've got to tell you, whether San Diego or south of the border, The food is amazing. The scenery in both countries, just beautiful and gorgeous. I love it. I miss it so much. But ultimately, there may be a better answer for your business on how you're doing things today. And that's why I wanted to really bring up this topic. Am I saying to take away American jobs and ship them to Mexico or Canada? No. I'm just saying... Well, let's think back to a couple episodes ago when we had Sandro Piancone from Hempaco on the show. And basically, that's a binational manufacturer. That's kind of what I'm talking about here. Having more options for your business to enable growth. Basically, think about it having another tool in your tool belt. But if you're not aware that tool's there, guess what? It's not going to do you much help. So what do you think of this episode? Have you done nearshoring at all in either Canada or Mexico? What do you think of the new USMCA agreement? Leave your comments below and let's get this conversation started. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I strive to bring a diverse crowd of people in here and focus on the variety of subjects with them and to focus on a variety of subjects with them for the short amount of time that we're on the air. If you did enjoy the show, please make sure that you smash that subscribe button, comment, like, whatever you want. But please, we are trying to get the word out to as many people as we can. So if you really want to help us grow, then the best thing you could do by far is please make sure that you share this video. We're trying to help businesses, whether mom and pops, whether you're an up-and-coming young executive, Whether you're a full-blown manager or C-level office suite holder, okay? The point of this channel, the point of this podcast is we're trying to help businesses achieve growth during this global pandemic. Share this out. Help get the word out. Who knows? The one video that you share may help somebody that's struggling with new ideas find the solution they need for their business. Once again... I'm David Strausser, this was Shark Bite Fizz, and I look forward to seeing you all next episode. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Fizz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.